look at that, the oh-so-fun and intriguing verses on church leadership. You know, I knew uh, a, a guy years ago said he loved going to the business meetings of the church. He wasn't one of those kind of people that showed up at church at Christmas and Easter. He would find out uh, in the little church that he grew up in, he'd find out when the business meetings were because he knew that's when the fireworks happened because <laughs> that's when everybody started arguing, fighting, and so that's what he was looking for all the time. Uh, and it was usually the leaders of the church that were the ones throwing the barbs, slamming doors, and walking out. So these, these, these couple paragraphs we're going to look at are very crucial for the overall perspective, remember, of what we're getting ready to. We'll look at this verse next week. If you look at chapter 3, verse 15, here's the purpose for which Paul writes to Timothy. He's at the church in Ephesus. He's wanting to, he's, remember, he's correcting false doctrine in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he's saying, as you come together to be a church, here's what should happen. Here's what prayer should be like and who should be speaking up. But look at verse 15. If I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's the goal. God's goal for the church is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And what we're going to look at today is that the leaders that serve in the church should be those that support the structure of that buttress of that pillar supporting and protecting and buttressing and highlighting and elevating and exalting the truth. So we'll look at verses 1 through 13 this morning. God's word says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, and he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask now for the leaders of this church. God, I, I plead for myself that we would be examples of Jesus himself on this earth, not from some arrogant posture that we're closer to God, but just the opposite. In our brokenness, we get to help everybody else see you. That's what we desire, God. That's what hope happens. We, we trust your spirit will bring that upon us as we look at your word. 
We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in an arena of specializations. Everything is specialized. We don't simply just go to the doctor anymore, right? You go to the doctor to find out what doctor you need to go to. Because, they, oh, I don't deal with that. There's a specialist who you need to go see that. And sometimes that's three or four doctors down the line to try to figure out what's going on on inside of us. Uh, old New Orleans TV commercial for Frankie and Johnny's Furniture. Got to see the special man. <laughs> Took the words out of my mouth, Tony. <laughs> so we can thank Frankie and Johnny's for the world of specializations. You got to see the special man. Let him have it. Let him have it. Well, look, the, the passage before us this morning can seem like Paul is giving just a list of qualifications of who the specialists are in the church. And if we're not careful, we get into this mode that, well, I can't know the Bible well enough, but that's why we have pastors. They know the Bible well enough. And I don't share the gospel really well with others. That's why we have evangelists. They're the, really, they're the specialists that share in the gospel with people. What we do is we, we stop ourselves from experiencing the fullness of our relationship with God when we think that all the specialists out there are the ones who do everything perfectly, and we just need to let them do it. No. All of us who are genuine believers have been called to walk out. We have, given, we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness, the Apostle Peter tells the church. Many of us have grown up in formal church, formal religious structures that followed a specialized and enhanced and, and promoted a specialized system of clergy that ended up being, oh, there's a hierarchy, and that hierarchy means you're closer to God. Paul did not establish a hierarchy with these instructions. And I hope that we can hear the original intent of these instructions so we can, we can normalize leadership for the church. There are a variety of gifts in the church, but there's no hierarchy. Nobody's closer to God than another person if we all have the exact same Holy Spirit residing within us. We have the same power, the same authority, the same victory, the same discipline, the same control, everything, self-control, everything by the Spirit. There's no specialization of people who get to read the Word or pray or counsel or share the gospel. We have the Spirit of God. Let's think about that and dwell on it. We have the Spirit of the living God empowering us to read the word and to pray and to counsel and to share the gospel. I often get a phrase that comes with a prayer request when people ask me to pray for something. And it's usually a phrase that indicates something like, since I'm a pastor, I must have a holier life than them, so God's probably going to answer my prayer before this person's prayer. And I don't really go into detail of how to correct that false thought. But it's just not true. You know, God hears all of our prayers. And the book of Revelation tells us that he takes them all and he stores them in a bowl. And in that bowl, it's a fragrant 
offering, it's incense to him. It, he smells it. He smells our prayers and he's delighted. He keeps them all, all the ones that we've forgotten about. He keeps them all. And one day we'll stand with him and he'll recount how he answered each and every one of them. And the specificity of the special man, God himself. We will rejoice in the ways that he answered prayer that we thought was the wrong answer to our prayers. And he proved right even when we couldn't see it. And we say, you, did, you answered prayers even when I forgot about those prayers. That's what he wants all of us to do. Now, here's our, our big thought for today is this. The qualities for leaders, for the leaders of the church, are to ensure the structural integrity of the church so we can obey God's command to preserve the truth. Now, I just totally changed that sentence that you have in your notes, so I'll read what I originally put. The qualities for the leaders of the church are to ensure the structural integrity in God's command to preserve the truth. God calls leaders to keep the gospel the main thing in the church to keep the truth the main thing. The leaders make sure the plans that God wants are followed by everybody in the church as we all do the work of ministry. Paul wants the church to recognize leaders who know how to read the plans that God wants and how to recognize the leaders that it will inspire everybody toward the work. Let's first think about who, why, why does God have leaders? There are leaders for God's people. God has a track record of calling leaders for his people. In the Old Testament, he called three different categories of leaders for his people. He had priests, he had prophets, and he had kings that were all to obey their unique roles to lead his people. And each one of those roles was communicating something about God to the people. Priests pointed to, the, to God. Sorry, priests pointed the people to God through the purity of the sacrificial offerings. Prophets pointed the people to God, by pronouncing his love for them and calling them to respond to his love in pure devotion. And kings pointed to God by their own personal submission to God as his representative. In the, in the Old Testament, the kings called themselves princes because they recognized that God was the real king and they were just, they were serving under his authority. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills all the responsibilities unique to prophets, priests, and kings in order what? To bring us all to God so we see him. The responsibilities of those offices are now spread to, listen, every believer. Every believer gets to be a priest. Every believer gets to be a prophet. Everybody, everybody gets to be a king and queen with Jesus. Now, we don't do that selfishly. Jesus says, don't lord authority, recognize where the authority is, and when we serve under that authority, what do we do? We enjoy its blessing and we point other people to it so they can enjoy its blessing as well. These verses describe those within the church that God's, God calls to give explanation of the truth and to set an example that points to God. The leaders in the church should be illustrating, demonstrating, Jesus. Now, here's a little excursus. We need leaders in our lives. We need godly leaders in our lives. We need spiritual authority in our lives so we don't wander around making up our own rules and isolating ourselves. You know, the, the wolves and lions for a flock of sheep 
They don't go after the middle. They go after the sheep on the outskirts, the ones who are vulnerable. When we make up our own rules and how we want to relate to God and how we want the church to be in our lives, we could be putting ourselves in the outskirts of the flock where the devil himself, who roams around like a roaring lion, loves to devour. We need shepherding so we're spiritually safe. We need the flock of God in order to be watered with living, God's living waters. And listen, when we isolate ourselves, we become crazy. Proverbs 18.1 tells us that. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, and listen to this, breaks out against all sound judgment. That means we lack common sense. When we isolate ourselves from the flock, when we isolate ourselves from God and act as if we, we get just the Holy Spirit in me, we got this, we're cool, we'll just keep everybody else at arm's distance, keep the church at arm's distance, what we're doing is saying, I believe me. When I believe me long enough, listen, I'm crazy when I talk to myself. We all are. And everybody talks to themselves, you know it. You got a lot of conversations happening in your head, and you know what? You win them all. You need somebody else in your life to be able to sit down with you and say, can I, can I help you in that, in that conversation in your head? What you weren't thinking of? Maybe how you elevated your own self in a way that God was wanting you to be humbled? We need people. We need godly leaders that we can bounce our thoughts off of so we don't travel down paths of pride and self-desire. Now, back to the offices. God's given offices in the church to help coordinate his massive eternal building project of adding living stones to the church. In Ephesians 4, remember, Paul has already written this letter to the Ephesians, and he's doing this. As, he sends Timothy later, and he's writing this letter as a follow-up to the, the letter that he wrote. He said this in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Read that together. Shepherd, teacher is one word. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look what happens. The leadership positions that he gives, the titles that are associated with that, are all for the purpose of building the church up so everybody in the church does the work of ministry. It's a wrong concept for the pastors and the leadership team and the church staff to do everything. Now, everybody has a responsibility. Everybody serves. Everybody builds up. Everybody does the work of ministry. All of these leadership positions, Paul set out to set examples to set examples for everyone in doing the work of ministry. He says, whoever desires the office of overseer. I remember in middle school, coming across this verse, maybe early high school, and I was thinking about being a pastor. Like, what would that be like? But you know what I thought about? I thought about my youth pastors who loved me really, 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 really well. And I... I I, that intrigued me. Like, they loved me so well. Maybe one day I could do that and, and be that for somebody. But early in ministry, next month, 
just amazing. Next month will be 24 years that I've served in pastoral ministry. It's just amazing. It's amazing. Because in my early years of pastoring, I chased praise. I chased it. I ran after it. Wanted, wanted people. I craved people coming up to me after a message to tell me how good it was because it, I took it as a reflection of what I did. And it was wrong, and the Savior was so patient with me. When I was, my motivation was all jumbled and turned around. Through, it was about my ministry. And I really, I, I got very convicted about that when the God, God just humbled me in, in a way to, to really wound and, and in the effort to annihilate my pride. I just never, ever thought of it that way. God's ministering. I get to be alongside of him in what he's doing. Just a huge, huge uh, vortex-type thought change in my life that God, thankfully, was able to bring to me. But I say that and I share that to say that selfish ambition is a sneaky sin for everybody. But it's uniquely sneaky for those who desire an office in the church. Paul conveys both the blessing. Hey, it's a blessing. It's a noble task. You're doing well. But also the weightiness of the task. From his command to stand up to false teachers in the first chapter, it seems like the wrong people are coming with the wrong desires. They wanted the glory without recognizing the guts that ministry involves and is required. The wrong motive is chasing esteem and significance or chasing power and control or chasing some inner knowledge of how life works behind the scenes in a church. But desiring the office of overseer, it's a good thing. He says it's a noble task. Caring for the flock of God is an elevated task because of the eternal power of the truth. It's what we're delivering. It's not, it's not some product that we just, hey, here's a product. This will help you. Just go with a little while. When you need something else, come back and we'll have it again. That's not, this is not what we do at church is not give us a bunch of energy to be able to face the week. That happens, but it happens only because we're looking at Jesus and we're, we're recognizing the living waters that are in us because of his spirit and we tap into those. So we come to church, it's like we're putting down the, the, the bucket into the well. It's like, I need something. But each one of us has that. And as we do that, we look at Jesus and we're satisfied and we say, oh, this is why I need to be satisfied because I, I'm, I'm embarking on a week where the devil hates me. And he's out to get me. And my flesh fails me. Even when I try my best to overcome sin, it fails me. We have need to be reminded of those living waters. And that's what shepherding the flock does. Leads the church to those living waters. Overseeing the church is to be held in high esteem because Jesus is held in high esteem and he should be seen in the leaders. Paul is telling men that it's a good work. It's a good work to aspire to. And then he describes the qualities of those godly leaders that the church should be recognizing. And the first thing to recognize about the list for these elders and deacons, listen, 
It's not all that remarkable, is it? Like, well, I think all those things should apply to everybody, shouldn't they? Yeah. But listen, what makes it different and unique for elders is that while it should be something that everybody in the church resembles, it must be present in the lives of the leaders, the lives of the elders of the church. And also, Paul, he could have listed the fruits of the Spirit as the criteria, the qualifications. But he doesn't do that. Because the, the, the call to leadership is not to be perfect in the faith. It's to be stable in the faith. It's to be steady. And Paul doesn't list uh, the, necessarily the duties of the elders. He's looking for the qualities of these elders. So what about the elders? I would, I would help, uh, I hope this helps us understand what an elder does. An elder is a person, a man who has the character that draws others to hear gospel explanation for application. Elders are bringing gospel explanation. Able to teach, want to bring that, but, but it needs to be illustrated from a life as well as words. Let's just quickly go through the criteria above reproach. Think about it this way, that no accusation can stick. That you know a man so well that if somebody has a false accusation, you in your mind say, no, I don't think so. That's not the man I know. It's like when, when accusation comes, it falls off. Husband of one wife. Now, we looked last week at the roles of women in leadership or women in the church. We're going to look a little bit for deacons, for women in leadership. But the the role in the office of elder, and with Paul, overseer, elder, shepherd, pastor, they're all interchangeable. He uses the word for all of those. But we trust that it is in God's created order, to resemble his created order, that the office of elder would be for men. But listen with a pronounced marital fidelity and loyalty. He's faithful to his wife, not just physically faithful, emotionally faithful, spiritually faithful. This doesn't mean, uh, there's, there's some different criteria or, or discussion about that verse. Does it mean that somebody who has own, is a, a, a widower, is not allowed a widower who gets remarried, is not allowed to serve as an elder? I don't think so. Uh, and, and nor does it mean that he's got multiple, make sure you don't have multiple wives. By this time, that wasn't a practice for a lot of people in culture, especially within the, that culture in Ephesus and over into Corinth and Greece. It just wasn't prevalent uh, at that time. So it seems that what Paul is describing is the faithfulness of the men who lead, faithful to their wives, a man faithful to his wife. Sober-minded literally means clear-headed, not swayed by opinions, but is steadfast. Self-control, a man who has mastery over himself. Respectable, how others see him. Do they see somebody that's honorable, respectable? This man should be hospitable. A man who opens his house and his life for gospel advancement. Come, come into my life to find out who Jesus is. Come into my home to find out who Jesus is. And then he's able to teach. He's able to unfold the gospel and apply it individually to the believer. And this can be done in a various, in a various in numerous ways. Uh, I'm doing it now, preaching, unfolding the word, preaching. Not every elder is called to be a preaching elder. That's, that's a task that's just unique. Uh, and that's why 
It, it comes with gifting. It comes with just recognizing. But every elder should be able to take the word and open it up for the people of God, and they see Jesus. Now, that can also happen in just a one-on-one counseling or mentoring, discipling setting. It happens there as well. But this elder who's able to teach is also holding to sound doctrine to feed feed the sheep with the word and also to be able to correct false doctrine. Remember the false teachings that Paul's addressing in chapter 1. In Titus chapter 1, Paul gives a similar list to Titus, who's on the island of Crete, doing the same thing that Timothy is doing. Paul tells Titus in uh, verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Now, who he is matters and how he's contradicting it. The elder is not to be a drunkard. I think this can be encapsulated, yes, not addicted to much wine like the deacons, but also not given to addictive behaviors. A man who is given to addictive behaviors would have a question mark on, are you really called for an elder? Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Uh, all one thought right there, gentle. He's to be like Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Who, he described himself, come to me, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. The elder's not to be a lover of money. His security isn't tied up in his possessions and his investments and his comfortable life. He knows what it means to sacrifice for the kingdom. And he's to manage his household well. The church is to look like his leadership that his wife and children respond to. So when an elder is, is being considered, the church is to say, how does his family respond to him? Because as his family responds to him is how we're probably going to respond to him. And those are, those are tough questions in that. Does, does, does his family want to follow him? Very big and huge questions and takes time to walk through that. Uh, Elders are to be mature in the faith, not recent converts. So they're not uh, puffed up with conceit. And also the elder must be reputable with unbelievers, those outside the church. Because remember, if he's living one way outside the church and another way inside the church, and the the gospel can be confused with somebody saying, that guy's an elder in your church? Do you know who he is? Needs to, have, needs to be reputable in both, respectable in both contexts. Then he moves to deacons. Now, where, where elders are giving gospel explanation, deacons serve to facilitate the gospel. They're giving gospel facilitation to the ministry so the church can minister and everybody can minister together. And we know uh, from deacons, this comes from Acts chapter 6, where the the, the original language, serve tables, is the word deacon. We need some people. All the, the apostles are trying to figure out who needs food and who doesn't have this. And the Hellenists are saying, hey, we're getting overlooked because we're half Greek. And we're, not to, we're not Jewish. So, what, what's, so they, they're trying to figure out, how do we do this? And the, the apostles recognized, we need to be praying. And we need to be preparing the word. We need to be preparing ourselves to bring the word to God's people. So they said, it's not good for us to deacon. It's not good for us to serve tables. We, we need others that will help us do that. 
Acts 6, 1 through 4. Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, deacon. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the biggest difference that we see in looking at the, uh, the paragraph about elders, now the paragraph about deacons, is the teaching role in the church. The teaching role is reserved for those elders, but deacons can teach. They're not prohibited from teaching, but they're not required to be teachers. So let's look through those qualities of the deacons. They're to be dignified. Those who look to serve the church, remember, they were originally brought in because there was a complaint. Now, sadly, too many churches today have deacon boards that stir up the complaints against the pastoral team rather than put out fires. The deacons were to put out the fires, say, no, we want to maintain unity. We, if somebody's being overlooked, we want to solve that. We want to help that and care for people so everybody's moving together and the gospel is, is unifying the church. They're not to be double-tongued. They're to be trustworthy with information. They're also not addicted to much wine. They are to be tempered and self-controlled. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. They're holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And they're tested and proven. Uh, the testing, I think, is uh, let, let men and women be put in situations to see what they'll do and to see what can be done, how they respond to things. And deacons, deacons may in time become elders, but elders don't start as deacons. It's not a stepping stone. It's not, oh, in order to be an elder, you've got to be a deacon first. No, somebody might be serving the church, and they are a deacon, but then God gifts them in a way and raises up an eldership gifting and call that's recognized by the church. He also is to be the husband to one wife and managing his household well. Now, in, there's some, in that uh, verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified. There's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate about what this means because the word wives there can be translated women. Women likewise must be dignified. So it's debate on what Paul means here. Why would he use the word likewise? He used the word likewise in verse 8. Deacons likewise, like the elders. So why would he say likewise if it's wives? Maybe he really intends to say women. But then he uses, just to confuse everything, let you know what I've been looking at all week, the husband of one wife is the same word as the women wife word in verse 11. So we're left to think, what in the world did Paul mean? Well, we have to look at other scriptures. I look at other scriptures to figure that out. Uh, Romans 16.1, Paul commends Phoebe, who is a servant of Christ, literally deacon. She's a deacon of Christ. And we see in uh, Colossians 4.15 that Nympha has the church in her house. She's the one. It didn't say her husband's. Maybe it's a single woman who says, no, the church can meet in my house. That's great. She's hosting a community group or she's hosting the entire thing. She's serving. She's a deacon. Also in Acts 16.40, Lydia, who's in Philippi. Remember, she was a seller of purple. She went down by the river. Paul explains the gospel. She prays to receive Christ. And she says, what can I do to help? Look, when they are released, when Paul and Silas are released from prison, they made a point to go tell her hi. 
Now, there's a church that met in her house too. So me, when I look at this, I say, you know, if I'm, if I'm using the other scriptures to be able to help interpret this, I do think that Paul means women can be deacons too. Now, the deacons are not part of the, just to be able to coincide with what we talked about last week, they're not, they're, they are called to serve. And in that service, there possibly could be part of the decision-making process to say, how would this work best? How do we serve people the best in this category to see this ministry forward? But we have gifting with men and women to serve as deacons, to see that everybody in the church has opportunity and facilitate gospel advancement, first in our hearts, but also through the church to see that take place. And I have a long list of ways for this church to serve in our community still. I mean, we just, the, the whole COVID thing has just been COVID. And it's just, it's halted some things that we had some momentum in and we want to try to gain that momentum again within the, the community and mercy ministry and just going after people. There's a, that we have a balance that we're inviting people to church, but the church is also going out to people. We want to be both, to be able to see people exposed to the gospel, but, but trusting the gospel and their lives changed by the gospel as they watch us and we're able to walk with them. That's part of the fruit the fruit of a godly leader. But the church is the church. It advances. And there's, there's gospel preservation with unity. It, the, the, gospel, wow, the gospel unity is preserved through faithful, godly elders and godly deacons and deaconesses. And the fruit of a godly leader is that the fields are watered and the flocks are nurtured. That's, you know, as Mark Jordan and I meet weekly and we pray together, that's a caption of our discussions and our prayers. Lord, bring us to living waters so that we might be satisfied. But Lord, care for us, nurture us so that we might fulfill your desire and your call and your your command and commission for this church. But ultimately, the greatest fruit of godly leadership is Jesus being made visible. In the elders, we should be able to see Jesus, not perfectly, but steadily. Jeremy Ryan in his book, Church Elders, Elder says this, when the religious leaders accused Jesus of being in league with the devil, the charges didn't stick because he was above reproach. When the sword brandishing Peter offered him an opportunity to avoid his captors, he remained self-controlled, determined to fulfill what he and the Father had planned at the cross. When dealing with the weak, hurting, and sick, he was gentle. When the devil offered him the kingdoms of the world, he was not greedy. In all these moments, Jesus was acting as God's perfect shepherd of the sheep, as well as marking out a pattern for elders and churches today. Church, that's our desire you would see Jesus in us and want to follow him. And deacons, Jesus is made visible. Mark 10, 43 to 45. But it, uh, this is Jesus telling, remember James and John come and say, hey, can we both have like uh, either side on your throne when you're exalted in your kingdom? Is that too much to ask? He says, it not, shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your deacon. 
And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we serve, we highlight Jesus. We highlight all that he is. Why? Because we want to set the truth up high as the church being the pillar and the buttress of the truth. So we want to, we want to honor, as a church, we want to honor God's plan and his pattern for the leaders of the church.